It is in the beginning that we're always most enthusiastic, isn't it? Whether it be a diet, new job, fitness regime, or even a friendship. But the longer that we eat healthy, work the same job, exercise, or pour into our friendships, the more weary and often unexcited we become. If there's ever a message for today, this is that message. On this first Sunday of Advent, the beginning of the Christian year. And while we will not have a baptism on this first service, we will have a baptism in the second service. And this is also a message for this baptism day. We must live like the beginning, principled and enthusiastic, courageous and faithful to God in His covenant with us. So I've titled this message, Live Like It's the Beginning. The remaining minutes, what I would like for us to do is to observe four lessons from this passage that relate to the charge of living like it is the beginning. So I invite you to pull out your bulletins or your Bibles, and let's look at Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. Let us pray. Oh, Jesus, may we see you. May we savor you. May you be our Lord, our author and perfecter. May you rule our lives. That we might live like the beginning. Enthusiastic, committed, and promised. Rekindle in our hearts a love for you. May we be good stewards of all that you have given us. And may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So the scene that's brought before us is that we see young children brought before Christ that he should touch them. That the disciples rebuke those people who brought the children to Jesus. Jesus was indignant and opposed to the disciples with harsh, and he opposed the disciples with harsh yet truthful words. And lastly, we see that Jesus took the children up in his arms, laid his hands upon them, and blessed them. So, what are these four lessons that we should learn from this Jesus story? The first lesson is that we learn that children have an important place in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, why do I make such a bold statement? Because the great head of the church embraced them, laid his hands upon them, blessed them, and he even preached a message with them as the example for which we are to follow. You see, Jesus found time to take special notice of these little children. Despite his limited time on earth, he only lived to be in his 30s. He did not neglect these children. 
In fact, he said, let the little children come. Despite how men and women on every side were perishing because of their lack of knowledge, Jesus chose to spend time with children because he did not think of them as small importance. No, he made room for them. And the evangelist, Mark, makes room for them too by sharing this story with us. Children have an important place. We should guard from the temptation of thinking that this is simply a warm, fuzzy story that only serves to transition us to a more glorious message of Christ. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and his disciples, by speaking to his disciples, he's speaking to his church. And he's speaking about the family of God, where all ages have an important part, especially children. How much time we waste debating and contemplating things that Jesus is just silent about. And we never consider what he speaks of. And here we see that Jesus declares by his demeanor, his words, and his deeds, his good news for these children. Jesus embraces, blesses, and says that we must be like them if we are ever to enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, according to Jesus, children have the upper hand when it comes to receiving the kingdom of heaven. They're self-aware. The evening of the fall of fog has not settled into their hearts. They're intimately aware of their needs, their need to receive and to trust. And they are impressionable, malleable, and changeable. Whatever reason it be, it seems clear through this gospel story that children have an advantage when it comes to receiving the kingdom of heaven. However, we should not suppose that they be left alone because their souls are safe. Why? Because Jesus doesn't leave them alone, does he? He says, let the children come. There is an important place for them. And that place is the beginning. It's the beginning of their new life in Christ. You see, it's not good for children to be left alone, and it's not good for us to be apart from them. How much we can learn from children. How much we can learn from children in entering the kingdom of heaven. Yes, we must let the children come. They have an important place in Christ's church. The second lesson that we learn is that Jesus is that important place where children ought to be. How often do we respond like the disciples in this passage, perhaps not so much as speaking sternly, but as forsaking children to come to Jesus? Perhaps we say that they are too young and we think too lowly of them. We shamefully lower the standard. Perhaps we cultivate them in the soil of entertainment, as if entertainment is the virtue to be learned. Perhaps we selfishly push them aside out of convenience for us, rather than benefit for them. Whether it be at home, church, or even school. And if you think that I'm making Jesus something that he's not, you must then ask yourself, is a child who is close to Christ, touched by Christ, blessed by Christ, 
a child not impacted by Christ? In the film Pay It Forward, the teacher asks his class, what are you going to do to change the world? A smart aleck kid shouts out, teacher, what do you do to change the world? The teacher coolly responds, I go to bed early, I have a hearty breakfast, and I teach you Monday through Friday. Then the teacher proceeds with that same question that he initially asked, what are you going to do to change the world? The smart aleck kid and the giggling class are silenced. But there's one kid who gently raises his hand to respond. The teacher calls upon him. The kid says, nothing, and lowers his hand. The teacher shockingly, enthusiastically affirms his answer, yes, you cannot do anything to change the world. You can't even go to the bathroom without a hall pass. You see, if our children are ever to be world changers, moreover, if they are ever to fulfill the calling that they have in Christ, then we must raise the bar for them and entrust them with a greater responsibility. We must allow them to come to Jesus, the real Jesus, not simply the storybook one, the one who leads courageously, rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, and expects the greater reward. A child's character and traits depend on what they see and what they hear. So we must show them the real Jesus. Children are never too young to learn what is wrong, evil, and sinful, and learn how easily swayed they are in this direction. So we must show them the real Jesus. And children are never too young to receive godly impressions. So we must show them the real Jesus. One thing that we can be sure of, if we are not aiming at anything, we will not hit anything. Our culture is diametrically opposed to the real Jesus' children. Boys and girls are allowed to stay boys and girls for far too long. They are never entrusted with the responsibility needed to grow up. So do not rely upon the culture of this world to raise your children. No, raise them in Christ through His church, the covenant community. You see, this is a high calling. It's too high for you to achieve on your own. You will need much grace, much forgiveness, and much help from Christ in His church. Christ must be your author and perfecter. You must live like the beginning. You must live like the beginning, committed and enthusiastic to the charge. You must remember the promise for these children that they may mature in the fullness of God. Yes, we must let the little children come and we must teach them and show them the ways of the Lord and entrust them with the responsibility needed to mature in Christ. The third lesson that we learn 
is that the command from Christ to be baptized in water is practically relevant to becoming close, touched, and blessed by Christ. Here we see that although this passage does not directly mention or refer to baptism, it nevertheless is relevant to the practice of it. Christ not only reveals to us the important place of children, but through his command of water baptism, he also reveals how water baptism is the most appropriate means to initiate them into this, his promised people. Why do I make such a bold statement? Simply because Christ commands us to baptize and then he gives us this powerful example of receiving children in the kingdom of God. It is true that Jesus nor the Bible gives any age that people should be baptized into the church. But if we were given such knowledge, I suspect that children would have just as much a chance of being that preferred age as adults do. And perhaps even more. Christ did not say, unless you be like an adult, you can inherit the kingdom of God. He says, unless you be like a child, you can inherit the kingdom of God. These words are powerful. But how more potent are they in light of water baptism? The sacrament of water baptism. The initiation of being received into this covenant community, into the household of God. The outward sign of the inward spiritual grace of salvation. How much more powerful are these in light of water baptism where we offer this child to God in obedience to Christ's command? Where we submit to Christ together, where we renew our vows of following Him. Where we commit together as a community of Christ in raising these children in relationship with God and His church. And it is where we believe that more than anything we do, God is doing the work. And we are simply privileged to be part of this blessing. Wow. Is it not convincing that if a child be elect, we should not deny this child of the outward sign of baptism? If children be, a, be members of the visible church by virtue of their parents... Should we deny them the outward sign of baptism? What else can we make of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14? Now are they holy. Just as the Jewish child received the outward sign of circumcision, so may the child of a committed Christian family receive the outward sign of baptism. <clears throat> The objection that baptism ought to be only given to those who are old enough to repent and believe is not convincing, as it singly rests on the individual's opinion or knowledge. But God is doing the work, you see, more than the work that we are doing. Repentance does not, if, or if God is doing the work, then regardless of when it is done, he is doing the work and we are privileged to be made participants in his heavenly activity. 
You see, repentance does not end for the adult after he or she is baptized. Neither does it end for a child when they come to know Christ personally. It's a baptismal life. That is the real reality. It is about ongoing repentance and faith. In this, we live like the beginning, not the end. The beginning, courageous, committed, excited, and promised. And even more than this logic are the examples listed in Scripture as we read of the entire house of Lydia and Stephanus and how they were baptized in Acts chapter 16, verse 15. And a few verses later in verse 33, we read of the, how the Philippian jailer and his house were baptized. It's very difficult to suppose that in not one of these cases was there any children or that all persons had a certain level of knowledge that qualified their baptism. The Jews had always been accustomed to admit children into the community by the sign of circumcision. The very fact that Jesus says nothing about the age for baptizing goes far to prove that he intended no change. So the subject should be left alone. And we should simply practice water baptism. We should let the children come. We should receive them into the household of God. We should cling to the trustworthy promises of Christ. We should nurture them and mature them in the knowledge of Christ. And we should believe that salvation is in store for them. Not just with words, but with actions. Yes, we must let the little children come. They should always be before us as we are speaking of and imitating Christ. We must let the little children come. And the final lesson that we learn is that children or that a child's significant place in the church must be understood as the beginning and not the end. You see, the baptism that must concern us and our children is not so much the baptism of water as it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Thousands are washed in baptismal waters who are never made clean by the Spirit. Have we been born again? Have we received the Holy Spirit? Have we been made new creatures in Jesus Christ? We are told in the Collect to cast off the works of darkness, to put on the armor of light. And we're told in Romans, our epistle reading this morning, have we been born again? Have we been clothed in Christ today? If not, it matters little when and where and how we have been baptized because we are still in our sins. Without a new birth, there can be no salvation. May we never rest until we know and feel that we have passed from death to life and indeed are born of God. We must ask ourselves, are we committed to the charge of raising these children so that they may too one day be born again? You see, here lies a promised adventure like an exhilarating novel that ends so well, 
Here you may start participating in the very salvific call of Christ for these children. What a bold statement. We are participants in this salvation story. Humble participants because of the God who acts. You see, may you never rest until these children may know and feel that they have passed from death to life. For today, they pass through waters, only that tomorrow they will pass through the Spirit of Christ. We must never forget and always live with the beginning in mind so that when we cross that heavenly threshold, we will once again receive a baptism of our own. But this will not be a baptism of water, nor will it be a baptism of salvation. This will be a baptism of eternal life. All eyes will not be fixed on these children as they are here today, at least in the second service. No, then all eyes will be fixed upon the one for whom we will be baptized into. For we will know as He intended and we will forever live like the beginning. Amen.